This is Coffee with Cascade, a podcast by Oregonians for Oregonians on issues that matter. Hosted by Cascade Policy Institute. My name is Helen Doran, and I am the Program Assistant for External Affairs here at Cascade Policy Institute. And today I am really excited to have Vlad Yurlov with me to discuss Portland's homelessness crisis. So Vlad, how about you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hello, I'm Vlad Yurlov. I'm a policy analyst here at Cascade Policy Institute. One of my largest interests and passions in this work is Portland and the metro area's homeless crisis. And it is a crisis There's millions of dollars being poured into it every year and nobody knows what's going on. So I'm making it my job to reveal where all this money is going. And one of the biggest things I've found so far is the 10 year plan to end homelessness. People were really excited for it 2005. It was supposed to end homelessness by 2015 and it was guided by the Joint Office of Homeless Services and it didn't work, obviously. After 10 years and about $70 million per year for 10 years, homelessness decreased by a modest amount, maybe 20% nowhere near ending. And one of the biggest reasons for this is that Multnomah County and the Portland region took a housing first approach. They did not require anything of homeless individuals that were in emergency, transitional, or permanent housing. Before we dive into all of those details, because there's so many details that honestly, Portlanders and anyone in the metro region, and quite frankly, all Oregonians should know about the homeless crisis. How about you give us some details and some numbers? And you already gave us some about the, how much money has been poured into this, but how about you give us some more details on the current state of homelessness in the metro region? Do we have an estimate on how many people are homeless and what has been done? How many homeless shelters we have? Numbers like this that really cement the issue um, in our listeners' minds. I do have some of those numbers. And in general, we find the numbers about homeless counts on a bi-yearly basis. Every two years, there's a point in time count. And the most recent one showed that there were about 4,000 homeless individuals that are in either emergency shelters or on the streets. A lot of those people in a rising amount of those people are unsheltered people. Those are the people that you see on the streets with uh, shopping carts and cardboard boxes, sometimes blocking sidewalks and causing unruly damage to cars or property. Wow, that's all really fascinating, especially hearing that 4,000 people are defined as homeless in the metro area. The major point of those numbers is that the unsheltered population is actually rising in percentage. And so that's why people are seeing so many more tents and people just out on the streets, right, in the Portland area. I mean, it's not, which is a really fascinating Um, situation is it's not necessarily that the total number increasing it's just that you know we're seeing more because they're out on the streets so I think one important detail to share with our listeners is that you know like we just were talking about a lot of people think of the individuals living in tents along the highway or on the sidewalks as a homeless population but the definition is actually much broader so when we use the term homelessness what do we mean exactly HUD defines homelessness in three major categories. The first is unsheltered, the type we're talking about right now. It is the people that are on the streets or they're in alleys or they're in abandoned buildings. They have properties uh, in terms of shopping carts and cardboard boxes and tents. It makes life the most difficult. And then there's another population. Those are in emergency shelters. Those are people in permanent housing because emergency shelters are by definition limited time frame for these people. 
they have caseworkers and some utilities and services that they have access to. But at the end of the day, after a certain amount of days or months, they do have to leave and go to either the next step or go back on the streets if they have to. The third is people in transitional housing. These people are in more permanent stable environments up to about two years where they get more a lot more services and a lot more stable environment to achieve independence on their own. And they work with caseworkers more intently, or we hope so, to move on to the next step. And the final step is, of course, permanent housing. But there's two facets of it. There is the private market. The largest hope that we have is all these people move from unsheltered to emergency to transitional to permanence. And we hope that they go to, to the homes on the market. And uh, that is what maybe you or I are in right now. The other permanent housing is called permanent supportive housing, where homeless individuals get largely discounted rents or no rents at all, and they still have access to all the services. So the final step within the homeless service structure is permanent supportive housing, which is what Multnomah County and Portland are using right now. Homeless people go into these buildings and they live there for extended periods of times, oftentimes unlimited and they still have access to caseworkers that work on mental health, addiction help, physical help, and, and such. That's fascinating. And along with that, I think a, a big question on everyone's minds is how do, especially in the Portland metro region, do we know how people become homeless in the first place and, and what it takes then to get them out of it? That's one of the most difficult questions. A lot of people would answer that people become homeless largely due to a lack of income. It seems fairly obvious. Uh, another way that people get sucked into homelessness is that they have a bad renting history or they get evicted before and they find it very difficult to get new housing. That is oftentimes how people become homeless within one shelter to another. For instance, you're moving and you don't have anywhere to go because you have a bad credit history or an eviction history. And that makes it very difficult, which is also what some of these programs that are offered support. Um, other ways are just becoming mentally ill or not being able to be supported by family members that could help you overcome that or live through that within a housing. Uh, physical disabilities cause lots of income troubles. If people are spending all their money on hospital bills, they won't be able to pay rents. And, you know, healthcare comes first with a lot of people. Uh, other, other things, I don't want to say fairly common, but a very easily seen way to become homeless is becoming drug addicted, which creates a cycle where your money going towards rent is not the number one priority. So people often get stuck in cycles if they do become drug addicted and cannot support their habits. Uh, I would say domestic violence is a very unfortunate way and a very real way that people become homeless if they don't have anywhere to go. And if they're dependent on a partner and things happen, if domestic violence happens, people obviously care for themselves and they have to go on the streets. Thankfully, there's a lot of private shelters for that, but also the homeless services specifically target those kinds of people. And lastly, also directed at income is just job loss. A lot of people are not prepared to move from one job to another. They're not prepared to be fired. A lot of people don't have savings. You hear all the time, people are one paycheck away from total poverty. Um, and if they get fired or get laid off, or I mean, coronavirus happened and a lot of people were left with nowhere to go and no real prospects. Things are not really coming back and people that are not prepared and don't have the resumes to get uh, get stable jobs afterwards get stuck in these cycles so what i'm hearing vlad is that oftentimes homelessness is just so unique to the individual it's very hard to extrapolate and 
kind of almost create a one size fits all problem or one size fits all solution to homelessness. It's so unique that you really have to meet the individual where he or she is at. Um, And so with that, in terms of addressing this, can you go into a little bit more detail? You already mentioned the 10 year plan, but how has the Metro region responded to homelessness? And especially now, how has that changed with COVID? So the way that they, the way that Multnomah County and Portland have responded to homelessness in the 10 year plan, let's begin at 2005, let's say, what they've done is essentially make a more robust emergency shelter, transitional housing and permanent supportive housing program. They've also uh, really embellished the rental assistance portion of their services. It's called a uh, rapid re-entry, I think it's called. Rapid re-entry is just a concept that if somebody's close to being evicted due to non-payment, this program would come in and help them out before they get homeless to kind of stop them from becoming homeless. In more general cases, the the, uh, the tenure plan essentially, it focused on expanding the homeless services by hundreds of millions of dollars. It started at about, I think, 40, 40-ish million per year. And at the end, I mean, this year, it's over 100 million per year. And these are all going into mostly emergency, transitional, and permanent housing. And the, the real aspect that I want to talk about here is if somebody does access these services, they get met with very open arms. Uh, it's called a housing first approach, where the main thing that Multnomah County and Portland are focused on is getting people indoors and in shelter. And that means if, you're, if your focus is on housing first, it can't be on re-entry. And re-entry is the most important thing to help people come out of homelessness. The goal should always be to come out and housing first just says, get people in housing. Um, so people go into emergency shelters, they have access to support services, they do not have to use them. Sometimes there's payment required to enter, but that is about all that is required other than being fairly peaceful. And almost the same thing happens at transitional housing. As I said, they have even more access to services, but if they hop from emergency shelter to transitional housing, they have access to more services, they are under no means required to use any of those services. So even if they somehow got into into this building that they could be at for two years, there is no requirements. And the whole philosophy is based on having no requirements to have this person address the issues that got them into homelessness in the first place. Now, this is not to say that domestic violence is somebody else's fault. This is not to say that losing a job is somebody else's fault inherently, but having no requirements to face those issues, such as getting a different job or meeting up with family members, things like that, that is a real problem. And it's even more egregious and prevalent in permanent supportive housing, where you have a place where you could live at for essentially as much as you want until you break one of the maybe vital rules, but you have access to a whole set of wraparound services. This is what they call them. Mental, physical, addiction, therapy, just going to the hospital. They give you rides, they give you food delivery, everything you could possibly want, but you're still not forced to combat the things that got you into homelessness. So the 10-year plan, 2005, 2015, it ended, but as they said, they wanted to end homelessness, but it did not end. So after that, there are, they were actually, the only thing that really happened is two new public organizations just arose from that. And that's just more, more public dollars. After the 10-year plan, 
the solution was to just increase money, increase, increase the budgets of these plans. So again, the new focus is even more on permanent supportive housing. And as I have explained, even if you put hundreds of millions of dollars like we are, and nobody's required to use any of the resources, you're gonna get the same results, which is what we've seen. And coming on the COVID side of things, uh, once COVID started, the Joint Office of Homeless Services, which is the partnership between Portland and the Multnomah County, they made a plan to socially distance the emergency shelters of the region because COVID is spread among people and they wanted to distance people six feet and such. But what they began doing at first is using community centers and even the Oregon Convention Center to distance uh, emergency shelters and provide the most at risk with more safety and, and more isolation from other people in the virus. What that led to after the community centers and Oregon Convention Center shut down, once they went back to their public uses, the Joint Office Homeless Services made a plan to use motel rooms to house people instead of these public buildings. So instead of having 450 emergency shelter beds in the community, in community programs, there was about 400 motel beds that they were renting right now in eight motels. That is essentially within the COVID timeframe, essentially permanent supportive housing, where these people are now in single occupancy motel rooms. They have all the room service they could need in terms of meal delivery, linens, their own personal utilities and facilities, safety, and all the mental and health care that they could possibly want. The trouble is they are still not required to use any of these things. The, the continual point here is that nobody is required to use any services that the county or city provides under the housing first strategy. So all these people are getting housing first, but it is stopping there. And that's the real problem. That's fascinating. And I mean, you've done a lot of research on housing first as a just a philosophy in terms of addressing homelessness. And it seems like the conclusion really over and over again, like you're saying, is there's just no incentive to go the step further beyond just getting into housing. And then then you're just waiting for the clock to run out. And so why do you think that the region is so focused on housing first and hasn't changed its approach? They are not looking into other solutions. That is completely correct. The housing first approach gained prevalence in somewhere in New York and in the, I think the early 90s or a little bit earlier and it spread to across the states and Oregon picked up on it and really went at it. Portland being the most populated or dense city in, in Oregon, it definitely picked up on it and has been hooked on it ever since. I think the reason that people are really adamant about housing first is that it seems like a one step solution. It seems to have a, it has a ring to it. People are saying housing first, everybody's ready for housing is something that people always say, but people are not ready for housing. And I'll explain more about that later. So people are really drawn to housing first because it seems simple. It seems like you could just throw money at the problem and have the government fix it. And you could throw more money and having the government fix it. The thing that people are not really learning or researching or don't have access to the information to is that the government has not been solving these problems. And the only thing that's been really increasing is the budgets of these homeless service programs. And I would say that the government programs, the way the reason they're so adamant about this strategy is that it gives them, first of all, limitless ability to extract as much money as possible from taxpayers and cover it with the best cause of all that they would say, in two simple words, a great slogan, housing first. And if they say that, they know taxpayers are going to say, why not? I would love these people to be housed. The problems with it 
as I've mentioned, just I'll boil it down right now, is that housing first places everything else last, and that includes re-entry. The thing that should really be the focus is homeless re-entry. Re-entry first, if I were to have a slogan, it's not as catchy, but it is inherently more effective. A re-entry strategy says that we need to help all the people that we could help focus on those people. The housing first strategy says, try to help everybody. And the repercussions of that are seen in the motel programs today as clearly as ever. At the start of the motel programs, they transition people from the community housing and emergency shelters into these motels. They didn't use vouchers, they used a different kind of referral system. And the first batch of people came into these motels, had no incentive to address their problems. And one quarter goes around, another quarter goes around, and a third quarter goes around. That is nine months. In the third quarter, only 9% of people were helped to go from these motels to permanent housing. That is low. It's atrociously low. And the thing to note is that a lot of people from the first and second quarter weren't able to find housing either. They were they they had all they needed. They had housing first and no incentive to do more. So they stayed in the program. So the real efficiency rate of the third quarter of the motels is probably a lot lower. And in general, the amount of time that people are staying in these motels is over three months, which means every quarter people are not being sent out. And that means new people cannot come in. By having a housing first strategy, the most all programs are attracting the most needy clients, but also the most resistant clients. There is no turnaround to give other people opportunities to have access to say yes to these services. And that is how the cycle continues and these motels are being filled up with more and more people that are resistant or apathetic to addressing problems. And the people on the streets that don't have access to these resources don't even have a chance to say, I do want help. In summary, instead of actively helping everyone who wants to overcome the problems that keep them from housing, our policymakers explicitly say, helping clients identify their own strengths and goals is much more powerful than simply telling them what to do. I would argue that some of the basics, how to find housing, how to keep housing, how to get a job, how to be, how to get off drugs, how to address mental issues is something they have to be told to do. So that is fascinating. I mean, that is a real issue if this is really not working. And yet this is what our government is advocating for and wasting our tax dollars on and seeing no results from it. That should make everyone mad. And this isn't a bipartisan issue. This isn't, this should be every Portlander and everyone in the metro region upset because we want these people off the streets. We want to help them. With that in mind, Cascade has been delving into this issue for a while now. So how about we start talking with a more positive attitude about how we can actually address this because we've been so focused on the issues and it's quite frankly, really depressing. Um, so what has Cascade been proposing as a solution to homelessness? How do we, how do you see us getting out of this rut of housing first? The way to get out of the rut of housing first is to first off, do a little bit of negativity, get people a little bit ag agitated or mad about how they have trusted their taxpayer dollars for government solutions but the government has explicitly said to program managers and healthcare staff, don't help them unless they ask. As citizens, we have to say, if people are not accepting the help, either stop the resources or create a program that says you have to meet basic requirements. That's all we're asking. And I think the thing that Cascade's really promoting is just a responsible government in terms of getting what you pay for. And what we're paying is hundreds of millions of dollars per year in things like affordable housing, housing first strategies, 
homeless services, mental, physical addiction care. And what I think we should be pressing for is to have those resources be used. Just as in the motels where there is up to $5,000 per month per person in homeless resources of those various kinds, they're sitting on a shelf unless somebody asks. And what we should do as a community is say, we want those resources to be used. Rotate people if they don't want to be using those resources. Housing first cannot be housing last, as it is turning out again and again. Bud Clark said it best in his three principles is uh, reach out to those who want help, be firm with those who don't, and create an environment where communities can flourish. And that starts with reach out to those who want help. Right now, our government is not reaching out to those who want help. They are using the money, they are paying these people, but the resources are not being used. That contact is not being made in a large amount of cases. The second thing is be firm with those who don't. Being firm is simply saying, we have better things to use this money on if you do not want help. And if it means rotating people outside of housing, these COVID motels could easily say, if you're not using the resources, there's dozens of people outside on the next street that could be willing to use these resources. Being firm is simply loving people as much because right now the people outside on the streets that are yearning for these resources are not being given access. And it doesn't mean that we're being mean to the people that are not using the resources in these housing situations. We're saying we want it to be used to the best ability and we truly want you to use them. If you use them, you should stay. But if you don't, we want to help more people. And that includes switching places. We have to have rotations of, we have to rotate housing to people who want services in emergency, transitional and permanent housing. It's as simple as that. I would include rent assistance as well, because some people, if you're on rent assistance, you have less incentive to maybe get a better job, study, do whatever. Rent assistance as well should be tied to how much are you doing in your own life to not be on this in the next year. That leads me to the third point of Bud Clark's principles, the previous mayor of Portland, is this is all to create an environment where communities can flourish. As you can see now, we are not flourishing. There is more and more camps every day. Portland's actually finally said, we're going to have to start clearing more camps. You know, since COVID started, they were clearing about 50 camps per week. They were doing five during COVID, and now they're saying we have to do something. And I think Cascade agrees, we have to do something. And that thing is, create a system that is not based around allowing people to continue being homeless. We cannot be supporting people who just want housing first. We should only be supporting people that want re-entry into independent housing first. We want people that have access and initiative to learn the skills, work, job requirements, documents, treating their mental and physical and addiction issues that want to create their own livelihoods to not have to use these resources in the next year. And the amount of recidivism we have in the homeless services today is just all points to Housing First being a complete failure. In summary, what we really need is to have people aware that their tax dollars are being used, but they're not being used by the people that need it. Right now, only the government and the government employees are the ones being paid. And no matter how much they're paid, if the residents of these programs in housing do not need to use those services, the money is just dissipating in the government structure. And when there are no solutions, and when there are no results, of course, the only thing the government can say is, I guess we need more money. If their whole philosophy is saying the money ends with us if the residents don't want it, that just only causes the problem to grow. You'll see more people on the streets. You'll see people in worse conditions. Mental health will deteriorate. 
in addiction, a lot of people will die. The only solution is demanding our taxpayers to be truly used. And that means pivoting from this housing first concept. Are there any last things that you want people to know about the homelessness crisis in the Portland metro region? One of the biggest aspects of not being able to solve that is that the Western part of America is bound, which includes Oregon, is bound by a judicial ruling called Martin v. City of Boise, which prohibits anti-cabbing ordinances from being enforced if there is no available shelter space. And in essence, that means if you can't quickly say to somebody on the street that you want to leave where to go next in terms of shelter, you can't tell them to go at all. And you can't enforce anti-camping ordinances to get rid of people on sidewalks, people on streets, crowding busy street sections and outside of businesses. The way to solve that is what Cascade has proposed to simply know how many emergency shelters are available on, a, on any given night. A couple of cities have already done this, one in California, another in, in Washington. Oregon, on the other hand, has no way of tracking how many shelter beds are available each night. And therefore, cities like Portland and regions like Multnomah County cannot physically enforce anti-camping ordinances to get people off of sidewalks and decluttering streets because they simply don't know where these beds exist. It is as easy as having somebody spend a few hours per day calling each emergency shelter, there are really not that many. You could spend half a day doing it and that would be solving a lot of problems. You can call, you can know how many beds there are, give that to, give that to the police bureau and caseworkers so that they could both help people and guide people away from camping on public property and not allowing communities to flourish. If people wanna learn more about how we are proposing a solution to homelessness, where can they do that? please go to cascadepolicy.org. We have various subjects, one of them, the most prevalent being homelessness. Look on that link, read through our reports. You'll see us in newspapers. You'll see us in the Oregonian, in Pamplin. Read our papers, connect with us, send us suggestions. And another thing I would say is visit community meetings that talk about homelessness and homeless budgets, because we need people like you to go out and say, we want our resources to be used. We don't want people to have the ability to say no to resources and still house them and not allow other people to use those. All right, Vlad, well, thank you so much for explaining a lot of this to us. This is all really important and I know it's on a lot of people's minds right now. So thank you again. And for anyone listening, you can learn more about how we are approaching the homelessness crisis in Portland and the metro region on our website, cascadepolicy.org. Or you can stay up to date with our podcast, Coffee with Cascade. We're always posting new quick points and commentaries on the homelessness issue. So thanks again for listening. 